Welcome to Game Changers Live from Miami, Florida. My name is Sergio Tijera. I'm your host. And each and every week, we bring you someone who has been a game changer in their field and who's touched the lives of thousands to get their perspective on their journey, their mindset, their struggles and successes so that we can inspire you on your journey. So let's get started right now. Hey, and welcome to Game Changers Live. My name is Sergio, your host. We're coming to you live from Miami, Florida, from the College of Communications, Architecture, and the Arts here on the beautiful campus of Florida International University, our sponsor here. And thank you so much for your support. We're now a top 2% podcast globally ranked by Listen Notes, and where you can also find us on Comcast on Mondays and Wednesdays in South Florida at 5.30. So if you enjoy this content, please Subscribe, give a thumbs up, hit the bell. That'll let us know that uh, that you're enjoying this content. So today my guest is Pasha Esfandieri. Did I get that right? Yeah, you said that right. Oh, wow. Awesome. Fantastic. So Pasha is coming to us from LA. And um, you know he started his career in real estate in 2011, flipping homes, founded auctions. And he's since evolved and has over $250 million in transactions across multiple asset types, including residential homes, boutique motels, purchasing and management of large multifamily properties, and working with housing programs in vulnerable communities. And in early 2021, he founded Evoke Capital and treating each investment like his own, right? And as, as each tenant as family, and in just 13 months, he's grown it to include a portfolio of over 950 units which is absolutely insane. So we're going to talk about that. But before that, the, the really interesting part is his background and his story. So welcome to the show, brother. Hey, man. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. I think this is going to be super exciting. Yeah. So one of the, one of the interesting things that I, I love getting into with, with my guests is their, their path and their journey. And we know that it, it seems like an overnight success. It seems like a 13-month 13 months, 950 units, it's like, bam, you touched it and boom, it became gold, right? But there was a lot of work behind the scenes, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of sleepless nights. And that's what I love getting into is kind of, you know, what drives you? What's your story? So take us back. You know, are you from LA? Where are you from originally? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, son of an immigrant family, my father moved here when I was about three or four, gave up everything back in Iran for us. My mother stayed over there. So my father was a single father raising his two kids. Had to work two jobs, kind of like the quintessential story. Um, and then, uh, no, so you grew up in San Jose. And I, I, then I moved around a bunch. Uh, I did live in like Texas for about five, six years when I started uh, playing poker professionally. Uh, moved to Las Vegas for about five years and then settled on Los Angeles almost I want to say about like seven, eight years ago at this point. So you were, so I, I don't want to go, you just brushed over that when you started pay, playing poker professionally, <laughs> right? Because you don't know too many people. At least I don't know too many yeah. you know, professional poker players, except for my buddy, Eris, that, <laughs> that uh, he's an amateur, but he plays like a pro, like a pro. So how did you get into that? Like what, how, what started that? Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting uh, kind of path that I took. My brother in 2004 won a tournament. And this is right when uh, poker started getting really big. And if anyone, like any of your audience like has played poker, they'd know who Chris Moneymaker is. And he kind of like made poker. Chris Moneymaker is your brother? No, no, no. Sorry. He like, oh. he made, he made poker. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. And my brother came right around that time. Right. And so yeah. 
my brother actually, if you know it, if anyone knows poker, it's Antonio Esfandiari, AKA the magician. Um, <laughs> and so he won a tournament back then. Um, and at that time, I didn't really have a ton of direction in my life. I just knew college wasn't for me. So competitive, you know, brothers, he won a tournament. He won 1.4 million at the time. And I was like, well, if he could do that, I could do that. Right. Yeah. So then I just started playing we'll poker. from the same cloth. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, come on, I, I got this. And so I just started playing here and there, but at the same time I was still waitering, working kind of some odd jobs. And, and then there was just one summer where I turned a hundred dollars into 20,000. I said, Oh, all right, there's something here. So then I kind of just took off from there. What is it about poker that, that you, that clicked with you? You know, I'll tell you what, it's, it's because my mind needs constant stimulation and it's, and it's a game that I can play and enjoy and also make money at the same time. I really enjoy the fact that it was real-time information, real-time data, and real-time results. And it's a game that you can learn in five minutes, but it could take a lifetime to master. So you're mm -hmm. consistently always trying to get better and no situation is ever the same. Every player is different. Every scenario is different. Every metagame is different. So that was really interesting to me when I was younger. Also, you know, back then everyone admittedly kind of sucked. And so it was pretty easy to make some money. Now it's a game of probabilities and your, your, you know, your situations change at every hit, right? Every time a, a card is laid down or a bet is made, there's situations and probabilities that you're, you're calculating just constantly, right? Kind of evaluating the situation, trying to read people because that's another, you know, big part of it. Right. Yep. And a lot of that then goes into the same thing when you're negotiating and you're, oh, you're yeah. or you're selling a deal, right? Kind of you're selling yourself in a sense, you're kind of selling what, uh, what they think you have. Right. And, and they're selling, kind of selling to you, right. It's, it's, it's all this, this game of constant communication, like you said, in real time. Yeah. The game about poker is beautiful because it's a game of, uh, incomplete information or misinformation. So you're always, uh, at least for me, you're, and, and most poker players who do this consistently, you're trained to try to uncover what the truth is. You're trained to uncover what the pattern is and what the motives mm. are and where they're coming from. So this really translates into negotiations of, okay, what, what is it that they really want? Let me read between the lines of exactly what they're saying. So that way I can always just adjust my offers or the negotiations towards them. It's one of my favorite parts of, of the deal is the negotiation process. Um, yeah, I'd like to think that I'm pretty good at it. Well, it's a really interesting point because you can almost create a training program, a negotiation and sales training program built on the principles of poker. Yeah, right? you actually you learn from poker. That's a, yeah, that's a brilliant <laughs> idea, actually. No, you really could. We're going to have to come up with that one now after this. All right. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yep, you sure did. <laughs> so, um, so you start playing and, and you start traveling uh, in different tournaments around the country, around the world. How does it work? Yeah. So, you know, I never really played many tournaments. It wasn't my style. I, I don't enjoy the really long hours. I was more of a cash game player. For me, something that's always followed my life is that my brother was in the limelight. Like just to go back to him, he's one of the best poker players in the world. One of the winningest poker players of all time ever. Wow. And, uh, but me, like I saw his fame inside the poker world. 
I never cared about. I just, I, I never want, I don't really need the limelight. I just wanted to make money. And so for me, the money was in cash games and that's all I cared about. So yeah, sometimes I did go travel. I did go travel on the tournament circuit just to go play the cash games, but it wasn't to play the tournaments. It was because there was more action in those tournaments. So, you know, I was able to travel around the world and play poker um, and I was young and it was really fun. <laughs> so you did that for a few years and then uh, what, what, what made you pivot outside of that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there comes a lot of ups and downs in poker. You know, you have it like, you know, variance really will happen to you. So you can have like a six month losing streak and have one night where you lose 150% of your net worth, which has happened to me many times. Wow. Um, you know, just there's just things that that happen. I what I realized is for myself is um, I wanted to create something bigger than than myself. Poker was always an end game for real estate for me. Let me make money in poker to go then translate it into a real estate empire. Right. Okay. What really changed it for me is I really realized I wasn't happy uh, right when I was about 26 years old. And I just said, hey, this isn't the lifestyle I want. I really enjoy having a routine in the morning. I wanted to uh, have a like relationship and future kids. So I was able to um, expand my time horizon and just say, hey, you know, in 10 years from now, I want X, X, X and X. But if I'm playing poker, I may not be able to get these things. So I had to make the shift and say, all right, let me take a step backwards. I ended up going and interning for a family friend of mine for three months, um, unpaid, just to learn real estate. And so then I was able to go start start my real estate career that way. There, there's a lot to say about making those pivots. There, I think there's a lot of people who are unhappy with with their lives right now, with their jobs and so forth. So we've seen that happen. Uh, taking you know taking the action for you is probably a little easier than. Than others because you had the flexibility originally you know with with the poker side but you know you took action right you had a, you had a vision for what you wanted said we're not going to find it here we're going to start doing something else and then you went to work for free which is you know i i, I interviewed uh britney turner <clears throat> who is also in real estate now you know she owns her own island in the british virgin islands but you know at the start she was sleeping out of her car for six months working for free you know kind of learning the business learning the real estate business learning how to flip houses learning how to fix and flip and um and sometimes you know the best lessons are learned when when you're not getting paid right you're not focused on the money you're just kind of focused on the growth right you know, I, I firmly believe that if you're able to look at your life in 10-year increments at bare minimum you mm. will see that working for free for six months or three months really is so nominal in the fraction of your life in 10 years. Right. And then when you compare it to the next, let's say 40 years, it's really just a drop in the, in the bucket. And so for me, I was able to just say, Oh, this is easy. No problem. Let me go get this education so that I could live a, and build a life for myself that I've never been able to. And that's what I did. So then, so you, what was your first deal then? What, what did you get into? Yeah. So actually my first deal was, a. Uh, it was a home in Las Vegas. It was a mobile home that I purchased. And, uh, and so I, I didn't even realize it was in a, in a 55 and over community when I purchased it. I just I, like, I didn't really realize that was a thing. And so I, I bought it from a side unseen auction. It was a good deal, but I made every mistake in the world. I didn't even redo the kitchen. And I don't know, I just went in there, but I still made $3,000. And then I was just completely hooked. I said, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> this and, is, yeah. and you bought a mobile home. So what, what made you buy that? Because mo most people say, okay, I'm going to flip my first house. They don't think about 
a mobile home. They think of like a house. Yeah. So yeah. What, what for, led you on that? For me, it was just, I was putting offer. I was putting offers about on 15 to 20 homes a day at the auctions. At that time, I would get wow. a list the day before I would do my numbers. I would be very conservative. And that's the only one that I was able to land in a few months of just bidding every day. But I knew for my first deal, I wanted to be ultra conservative. Right. And I just said, I know what time I'll, I'll find something. So obviously everybody else who was experienced didn't want this mobile home in, it, in the 55 and older community. It landed on me, which was great. I, I got my feet wet. I made some money. And then, then I started going into, uh, um, homes. So what was, what was the, you know, a, a lot of us have our, our biggest lessons are when we hit ourselves, right? We make mistakes. What was your biggest mistake when you started off that you were just like, okay, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> um, when I started off, um, yeah, you know, I really realized early on people always want to partner with you. And when you're first starting your real estate career, there's all this, I see this happen time and time again. It happened to me too. People want to take um, the big leap into something or they see this one like, oh, this is going to really make it. And it's like a shiny object syndrome, you yeah. know, and they're like and, and they go outside of their scope of what their knowledge is and they typically get burned. I, mm -hmm. I ended up JVing on one deal. You know, we didn't lose a lot of money. I think we lost like five or ten thousand, but the carrying costs, the stress of it. Being outside of our scope, we didn't think we were going to make all the money that we did. And I really realized early on, just stick to what I know and just become an expert at what I do and then learn how to scale it. Right. And so that was a really beautiful lesson to not get outside of my scope of what I'm I'm good yeah, at. Yeah, and just kind of be laser focused, right? And Absolutely. Dominate a niche and then and then kind of grow from there because there's so much, you know, the hundred Yeah. Awesome. Then, so it starts rolling. You start, you start, uh, investing in a number of different properties. You start getting, you know, the numbers very tight. I think you're a good steward of, of the operations was, the, was the op where, where's the, where are the golden nuggets in these deals? Is it the initial, the initial purchase price? Is it, is it tightening up the operations? Is it, where, where do you find it? It's always on the purchase. It's always, okay. always on the purchase. I don't. And then, you know, that relates back to even in the, climate that we're in right now you know as long as you're buying it right that's where you make your money hands down it's said time and time again in real estate you make money on the purchase and really what it will come down to is just learn to be patient and to keep fighting for that good deal and let it come to you and it, even if you don't get anything for six months it's okay like that happens in my business we you know we we got a a bunch of properties and then there was like a five month drought where we weren't even close to anything and then we were able to, to lock up a few after that so it just is going to happen you just got to keep hitting it. it the good deal will come to you it's when you buy so one of the things you did and i'm not sure if it was before you got into the real estate game or or during or afterwards you took some time off right um i i took some time off for education right exactly tell me oh. about that was that when when did that happen? Um, so in between the biggest time I took off was was in between poker and, and real estate. Okay, yeah. And the reason being is a I wanted the education, but b what really happened to me is um, I went into a personal development course. At the time of when I was twenty six, I got uh, I got outside of poker, and I really realized I wasn't happy. I wasn't who I wanted to be. I've never really dealt with my emotional trauma from childhood 
you know, or my perceived trauma and whatever. Right. And what, what I really realized is I had a good mentor tell me that, Hey, Pasha, if you really want this to be part of you, this kind of lifestyle of personal development, go getter, achieving results, you got to make it in, into your foundation. And you got to do this for two years, like really be in the personal development game for two years. And that's what I did. Um, it was all about just me really being in every course that I could, every Tony Robbins, every wow. anything I can get my hands on, any uh, emotional intelligence course. I coached for several years. I just want new. I needed this. I needed to pivot my life completely 180 yeah. from where I was and the thoughts I had to really condition mm -hmm. myself to have new patterns and reinforce those new awesome patterns. And again, it just kind of goes on what I talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm able to look at my life in, in massive like life chunks. And so I said, I'd rather take two years now, really become who I want to be. And then like exponentially mm. go my results in not only in financial and business, because that, that gets talked about all the time, but very seriously creating the life I wanted with my relationships and the love and the people around me and, and have, and having joy in my life. And so that's what I was able to create in those two years. And what was the biggest, which lesson or, or insight did you have that had the biggest impact on you in those two years that you, that just was like the aha, the game changer for you? Oh man, I just got chills. There's, there's so many, but there's one that stands above the most. And I think this simple lesson, if you really get it ingrained, can really help you create whatever life that you're looking for. It's that you are solely responsible a hundred percent of everything that happens in your life, a hundred percent. There is not one ounce of victim of like, oh, that person's this way or this car hit me or whatnot. No, my mentor taught me, well, had you done things differently, had you yelled at the car that was about to get to you, had you not been on the road that day, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. Like this is just a high, all hypothetical yeah. scenarios. But once you're able as a human, to take that knowledge and say that I'm responsible for every single thing in my life, you start to ask different questions. The question is, well, what can I do differently to prevent that? Well, what kind of conversations do I have to have with the people that I love? Or who do I need to cut out of my life? What do I need to go learn? And so when you're able to do these things, you then create the life that you want. <clears throat> Mm, I love that. That's and there's there's so much truth to that because the ownership and accountability piece, it does change the questions and it changes your perspective on things because then if I'm responsible for it, then I can do something about it. That's exactly you right. Know? That's exactly right. That's the most important thing that you can get away from these things and that you can create anything that you actually want in this life. Wow. Nah, that's powerful. Yeah. I love that. And so it wasn't just one two-year course it was just a plethora of number of different ones you're kind of grabbing the golden nuggets you're building the foundation so then you have something solid to build upon that will then yeah. lead you to good relationships and positive thinking and and successful in your businesses and so forth mm -hmm. <clears throat> so now you so you so let's fast forward then so you you know you started building up the uh the business and then eventually you started bringing on some other investors um, yeah, so I just I just started bringing on some other investors recently, yeah, and and the reason being is because uh, I was always kind of more so a lone wolf, and only in the last two years during the pandemic did I learn the power of trainers in my life, coaches in my life, um, 
and now like a partner. And so I'm, I'm running as fast as I can. And so when I realized and started identifying that mobile home parks had these in crazy yields compared to multifamily and apartment complexes, I didn't want to stop the deal flow that we had coming in. I didn't want to stop because I, I truly believe in my heart that there's about three to five year window before everyone starts to attack mobile home parks. And they're starting to. A lot of people, my size of operations and the companies are starting to attack mobile home parks. They're understanding that the yields are higher and they're chasing mm. it like myself. So so you, I, when you when you buy them, the, the, you're buying the entire park with and, and basically you lease these spaces yep. out to people, right, with, with their mobile homes. That's exactly right. That's exactly what we do. We, we have a lot less repairs and maintenance because they own the homes themselves. And so, you know. Yeah, you're basically, you know, it's the land and the utilities. That's exactly right. Which are basically underground or, you know, a, a, above. And so they're kind of out of the way. They don't yeah. get damaged easily. No, and not really. Yeah, it's brilliant. You're not having to change light bulbs and yeah. doors and stuff like that because it's part of the mobile home, right? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, <clears throat> there's a the lot growth. of upfront uh, operations we have to do, like a ton, and so and that's okay. And then there's a big stigma on mobile home parks, and I understand that some of the tenants we deal with, you know, are not tenants that I would want living next to me, you know. <laughs> and but that's what we do. We go in there, we remove all the trouble tenants, and we say you can't act this way. You can't like you know. There's these things that you you have to be a good tenant for your neighbors and and for the community. And a lot of people love it. They just love that they get out. But once you're able to stabilize it, it is very sleepy. It kind of just handles itself. But the upfront operations is mm. quite massive. What what size mobile home parks? What's a typical size? Is it by how many lots it has, or square footage of land? Uh, square, yeah, acres. It's by, it's by the lots and pads is typically how it is. Yeah. And what, what does that look like typically? I have no idea. I mean, like it can it can go from it can go from six lots all the way up to four hundred, you know. So, oh, wow. But I would say the average medium is like eighty to about one hundred twenty. It's kind of the average, right? We specifically go after about the fifty to one hundred and fifty because we want to stay underneath in, institutional money, but we stay above mom and pop buyers who just want to kind of get in the game and and have an investment, right? So, how do, the, how do the margins compare versus apartment complexes yeah i would say like what what the easiest measure in real estate is like the irrs uh internal rate of uh, a return yeah i would say it's about like in my opinion 10 to 12 percent higher than apartment complexes right now pretty wow. easily and then i would also say that you know for what i was looking when i was buying my apartment complexes my cash on cash would go from you know the typical like maybe four or five percent to now on the average 11 12 percent Wow. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty That's big huge. jump. The thing is, is that I've also, uh, I also work um, in, in my niche. I go to secondary and tertiary markets, kind of just like my poker background. I, I would go and find easier games instead of trying to find the, the games that were the biggest with better players. It's like yeah. game selection. <laughs> you know, I'll go where there's less competition and you get rewarded for it, but there's more stigma. You just have to know your numbers better. Um, but when you have more perceived risk and more perceived problems and you are able to solve those, I genuinely believe you get rewarded for on the back end monetarily for that. 
Well, yeah, just like we were talking about, uh, you know, before the before the show, for those of you in Miami, Wayne Huizenga was, you know, before he was owner of the Dolphins and so forth, he started waste management and that was all in the garbage space. And when yeah. you start going to places where nobody else wants to go, you can really start finding some riches there. And um, and so there's there's tremendous opportunity there. I hadn't personally thought about ever about investing in in mobile home parks. I mean, it just never crossed my mind. And uh, when people think about, you know, I'm going to go invest in my first home, I'm going to flip homes. They usually think of brick and mortar homes, not not these. So these are that's a it's a really interesting niche. And so now you started Evoke. Is it open to anybody that, that wants to invest? What's the minimum? How does that work? Yeah, so we we're we're launching a a fifteen million dollar fund here in like a week and a half. That's all I've been doing for the last week is just getting it, talking with the lawyers, figuring it all out. Um, but yeah, the minimum investment here is about fifty to hundred thousand dollars. And really, the reason why we're creating the fund is we realize that it's going to just be able to be more scalable, have our investors be diversified into ten to fifteen parks instead of like one-offs because we right. do attack higher margin mobile home parks in secondary and tertiary markets. Cause it's a different game than apartment complexes. And so for us, it's just a scalability issue. Um, and I think investors like that idea as well too. And we are able to return those kind of returns we talked about. We, I, I'd put up our returns against 98% of other operators out there. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, buddy, you're doing some some really amazing things. Let's get together and let's build that sales negotiation yeah, let's program. <laughs> That's going to be the next big thing. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people need your your skill out there. So you, you can uh, catch them at evokecapital.net. Um, are you on Instagram or LinkedIn? Uh, LinkedIn, Pasha Sfandiari. Instagram, Pasha Sfandiari. All right. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you for being on the show, Pasha. I appreciate it. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe and ring the bell and share it with somebody who needs to hear it. That means that you're going to be a game changer in their life. And that tells us that we're impacting your life every day uh, as well. So thank you so much. And we'll catch you guys next week. If you loved what you heard in today's episode of Game Changers, please subscribe and rate us. The lessons and the stories in these podcasts are immensely valuable, so I invite you to share them with a friend who needs to hear it. You may end up being the game changer in their life.